Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Today we are continuing our series, as Bill said, on the non-negotiables. And we're going to be answering the question, what about Jesus' return? And Bill was going to do a sign. Him and I were going to do a Seinfeld skit, right? What about Jesus' return? Hey! hey. But that's all. That's all we could get. That's all we came up with. And so we decided it wasn't probably, probably wasn't worth it. So what is the deal? <laughs> Sorry. What is the deal with Jesus' return? And so what we're going to see today, our takeaway today, is that when we think about Jesus' return. When, uh, when we kind of ponder this reality, what we can take away from that is hope. We have hope because Jesus is coming back. All right? And see if our clicker is working. There it is. Does anybody know what this is a clip from? Yeah. The Hunger Games. And it gets real ear... What? Yes. And it gets real irritating if we just watch this loop for a long time. So we're going to move past it quickly. But Hunger Games, right, is the story of hope. Right? Am I right? So no Star Wars quotes today, friends. Hunger Games is, is the movie of the day. So uh, Hunger Games, it's about hope. Now, I haven't seen um, the last movie. I've not read the book, so I'm not exactly sure how it ends. But I have a... Okay, that is getting annoying. Uh, um, so... I, I have this, this idea of, of where it's leading, right? And so there's this, there's this downtrodden people that are being oppressed by the capital, right? And they, they have these terrible hunger games, right? And they bring all these people in to, to squash hope. But Katniss Everdeen rises up and she is a, is a light in the darkness, right? And then the, the image of the, the Mockingjay, which was on the, the subway wall there, just inspires hope. And so we saw in, in the last movie... Um, that the, the oppressed people are, with this renewed hope, they, they rise up and they begin fighting against the capital. Right? And we don't know how it ends. Um, no spoilers, please. This is a spoiler-free zone. We're, I have an assumption. We think we know where it's going, but we'll have to wait and see. Right? And so the reason, I think that, or part of the reason that Hunger Games is so popular, right, is it because it deals with this topic of the end, you know, what happens in the end, or, you know, and do we have hope in the midst of what seems to be a, a world that is falling apart, right? Because we all deal with this issue of hopelessness, Right? Right, we can watch the news or, or read the newspaper and we see stories about ISIS or we see stories about human trafficking right, or world hunger and it just seems so overwhelming. There's so much stuff that, that needs to be done to, to help the world. It just seems like what part can I play? What can I do to help this? Right? It just feels hopeless. And, and sometimes this hopelessness hits a little closer to home, right? Maybe our, our car dies and we don't have the, the finances to, to get it fixed and we don't know how we're going to get to work and how we're going to juggle this and it just feels hopeless. Or maybe you have a, a health issue, right? And these medical bills pile up and, and you don't know what you're going to do and how am I ever going to get out of this and it just feels hopeless, Right, or a few a number of years ago, Amber and I did the, the Dave Ramsey thing, right? And and that was and so we we uh, at one point you kind of 
pull together all of your debts, right? So you can kind of see what is happening. And the idea is that you're going to start snowballing and you're going to, to pay off these debts. So we put our debts together. And instead of the what should have been like, oh, we're going to get out of this, we look at this number and we go, holy cats, what are we going to do? This just feels hopeless. And I remember there was one point in my life where I was at, at the, the center of hopelessness. If, if there is a dark center of hopelessness in the universe, it is Fox Brothers. And <laughs> that's a joke. So, uh, not cool. Not cool, Mark. All right, so I was, I was at Fox Brothers, and I'd worked, I worked there for about 10 years at, at, this, at this point. And after about 2008, after the, the housing crisis uh, of 2008, it, things got really difficult in, in the, the building industry. And Fox Brothers, we were a retailer of siding and windows and doors and exterior building products. But the, the job got, it got a lot more stressful and hours got cut and benefits got cut and we were... The, there were fewer people on staff that were expected to do more, and it was still, it was just a, it became a very difficult place. And I just, there were times where I could not imagine going into that place again the next day. Right, and so I would go home and I would get the newspaper or go on to like monster.com or something and I would look for jobs and, and there was nothing, right? And, and I, knew, I knew some people that owned businesses and I was like, hey, friend, how's it going? There's no open doors, no opportunities, right? Nobody wants me to work for them. Just kidding. Cameron does. He likes me. Um, and, and yes, he does. So, and so I, I would look for jobs. There was no opportunities, and I just felt hopeless. It was a really difficult time for me. And so I eventually decided that, okay, I can't just go out and get a new job. I'll need to, to go back to school. And so I decided to go to Kalamazoo Valley, right? And so I go, and I, I look at all their majors, and all of them are terrible, right? No offense, if, uh, there's some, for other people, there's probably good stuff at Valley. But for me, I've been looking at these, everything's terrible. And I'm just like, well, I will pick the least terrible major, and I will just do that, and then I'll be able to find a job I love. Thinking back now, it doesn't make much sense. Does it? But, so I was like, oh, I'll be an English major. Because why would they have a major if you couldn't get a great job, right? So, um, and so I thought, I'll, get a, I'll become an English major, and I'll do something English. And so I... I sit with a counselor and we figure out all the classes that I need to take, right? And so then I get the catalog and I'm like, all right, where am I going to start? And literally because of, you know, working full time and the family and different obligations, none of the classes fit in my schedule. And I was just like, what is going on? It was crushing. And it was this, like, I was thrown back into this hopelessness of like, I am never getting out of Fox Brothers. This is my destiny. And it was very, very hard, very difficult season. Um, and about this time, I started meeting with Greg Miller. Is Greg here? Greg Miller, the man. <laughs> Love him. And we started talking about my life. We started kind of talking about what I wanted to do and my, my hopes and, and my dreams. And he helped me to kind of rise up out of this pit of hopelessness, right? And he's like, well, if this is what you want to do, and these are the obstacles, this is how you're going to get through it, and this is where we're going. All right? And so all of a sudden, in the midst of this hopelessness, hope is reborn inside of me. Right? And so I, and I wasn't out, I was still in the exact same situation. Nothing really had changed, except I knew where I was going. 
And I knew how I was going to get there. And it changed everything. And so I was able to endure Fox Brothers for another two or three years, right? And there were still dark days, there were still difficult times, but I was able to persevere because I knew where I was going. I knew that I had hope. And so that is what we're talking about today, friends. We're talking about hope as we continue our look uh, at our core values, the non-negotiables. And we're using the Nicene Creed as a guide through that. All right, and so far, you may remember, a few weeks back, Cameron talked about God, the Father. He's our Father. He created everything seen and unseen. And then... Graham talked about Jesus, that Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully human. Uh, Cameron came back to tell us that Jesus came back to save us. And, uh, and, and Kathy, I'm just, just having fun, having fun with myself, don't worry. Um, and then Kathy ta- talked last week about how Jesus was crucified and was resurrected, right, to save us from sins. And that he talked, and she talked about how Pilate wanted to wash his hands of this decision. But we don't have that option, right? We have to make a decision. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Son of God, or don't we? We have to make a decision. And today, we're going to be talking about Jesus's return. And this is the part of the creed that we're looking at today. It says, from thence he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. You see, even in the creed that was written about 1,700 years ago, they're answering this question, what happens in the end? What is it going to look like? What are we looking forward to? Right? And people have always asked this question, you know, what's going to happen in the end? What does it look like? When is it going to happen? Right? And I love doing these slides, right? And so this is just a, a picture of, of our culture, right? We are all seeing in, in culture where people are asking this question, what happens in the end? And Amber and I really like Falling Skies. Any other Falling Skies fans? No. Okay, never mind. Uh, it's not that great. We don't watch it. I wouldn't worry about it. All right, Falling Skies, the, the end is, is an alien invasion, right? That's crazy. Oh, no, it's aliens. And maybe that's how it ends. Or Walking Dead. Any Walking Dead fans? You, there's one. Get prayer after, after service. It'll be right over here. So, just kidding. And so in the end, right, it's a, it's a zombie apocalypse. And is anybody old enough to remember war games? Yes. There it is. There it is. You know, the Matthew Broderick, that's pretty current. He's still alive. Yeah. You know, do you want to play a game? You know, yes. right? Thermonuclear war, is that going to be the end, right? Or uh, does anybody remember Y2K? I remember listening to, to Christian radio and these, <laughs> these announcers telling me that I was a terrible provider and I was not going, that God was mad at me if I was not stockpiling water and food for my family. I'm like, oh. So luckily, uh, we got through that. That was good. We're fine. Everything fine. Or the Mayan calendar, right? That, you know, it only goes up to December 21st, 2012. Uh-oh. It's the end of the world. And my personal favorite on this slide is this guy, I cut his face off, but Judgment Day, May 21st, the Bible guarantees it. So, so watch out, it's coming. Actually, this was a couple years ago, so we survived. Good news, right? So we're, the culture is asking these questions, what happens in the end? What is it going to look like? And a friend of mine posted this on, on Facebook uh, 
a week or so ago, and it's just this sciencey article. The universe may be on the brink of collapse on the cosmological timescale. They think maybe in about 10 million years, the universe is going to stop expanding and it's going to start contracting, and that will be the end of everything we know. So, just 10 million years, so get things straight. All right? All right, so these questions are current in, in our world, but we also see that Jesus' disciples were asking the same questions. And so we're going to jump into a scripture. I'm sure some of you are saying, finally, a little scripture. Thank you, Mark. This is church, after all. So, um, so the disciples asked this question. In Matthew 24, they say, uh, it says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. And Jesus replies, Do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? You see, it's not new for us, right? It's not just our culture wondering what's going to happen in the end. Even Jesus' disciples asked this question. But Jesus, shortly, just a few verses later, says, but about that day, the end of time when Jesus is coming back, about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. And so Jesus doesn't, well, Jesus can't answer when are the end of days. When is the end of the age? But what he does say is, we don't know when, right? But you need to be ready. You need to keep watch. Because the Son of Man could come back at any moment, right? And so we see the the disciples are asking the wrong question, a a question that Jesus couldn't answer. He wouldn't answer when he was coming back. But what we see Jesus telling them is not when, but what. And when Jesus comes back at the end of the age, there will be judgment. Yeah. That's, that's great. Remember, hope. We're talking about hope here. Okay, so there will be judgment. And so let's take a look and see what Jesus... Man, I'm sorry these words are so small on my computer when I was real close to it. It's much easier. Um, so just bear with me. Uh, so Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Oops, here we go. How's that? Good, possibly. Then the righteous will answer him. (laughs) Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come visit you? 
The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Heavy. And at Jesus' return, at Jesus' second coming, he is going to judge the hearts of all people, both the living and the dead. And he is going to separate those who have believed and submitted their lives to Jesus' lordship and those who have not. Those who believe and submit to Jesus will go on to eternal life, but those who have turned their backs on Jesus to eternal punishment. You know, this is serious. Right? And this, we cannot take lightly. And certainly, if we read through the Gospels, if we read through the teachings of Jesus, he did not pull any punches when, he, when it came to judgment. It is a real event that is really going to happen when he is really going to judge our hearts and our deeds. And as Kathy said last week, you know, that we cannot wash our hands of this decision. We can't say, well, I don't, I don't want to pick, I just want to do my own thing. Because that is a choice. We need to choose to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. That he is the Son of God. And that he is the only way to the Father. He is the only way for us to uh, enter into eternal life. But there's good news. <laughs> Ooh, that got kind of down. It was kind of down a little bit. There's good news. The good news is that this Jesus who is coming back is not this angry, vengeful God who is finally going to get revenge for what we have done to his son. Right? He is not coming back to finally get us for being such rotten people. Right? The God who is coming back is the same God who did not spare his only son. Right? It is the same Jesus who willingly stepped down from heaven, laid down his rights, laid down his life for us. That is who's coming back. Our amazing, glorious Jesus. And in that, we can rejoice. <laughs> there, there it is. There it is. So that's good news. Jesus is coming back is good news, right? A lot of times we don't like to talk about judgment because it's kind of scary, right? Oh, what if I'm not good enough, right? What if I didn't do enough? And I, I don't really have time to, to get into this, but I would love to talk afterwards, right? It is by faith, it is by faith and not our works that make it possible for us to be saved, for, to make it possible for us to enter into eternal life. But it is our works that reveal our faith. All right? And that's what the book of James talks about. And that, I believe, is what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, oh, you fed enough people, you can get into heaven. He's saying that our faith was revealed by our works to help those who are less fortunate 
than us. It's faith in that works. So, Jesus is coming back. It's a real thing. From thence he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. So, why is Jesus coming back such good news? Right? And I believe that it's because this will be the fulfillment of his glorious kingdom. Right? The consummation of what he started when he was incarnate some 2,000 years ago. Right? The consummation of his kingdom. And so let's take a look real quick at where we are headed when Jesus comes back. This is good. This is the good stuff, friends. We've done it. We've got there. All right. Revelations chapter 21, uh, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Yes, that's exciting. That is good news, right? We are going to see a new heaven and a new earth. And in this new kingdom, there will be no tears. There's no death. There's no mourning, no crying, no pain, because the old order has passed away. You see, at Jesus' return, at his second coming, the consummation of the kingdom, and consummation just means to complete in every detail, right? He is going to complete in every detail this glorious kingdom of God. And it does away with sin. It gets rid of selfishness and pride and fear and hate and all these things that have no place in God's kingdom. All the things that original sin allowed in to God's perfect creation. And in this consummated kingdom, we will thrive as we were designed to thrive. Right? We will be able to love in all of its fullness. We will be able to create culture. Right? This is what I'm excited about. Imagine how much, how great the, the music we can create is and the The cars we can invent and the buildings we can build and all the amazing things that we will be able to create without the effects of sin in our lives. It is going to be amazing, right? And we're going to be able to adventure and live life to its fullest. And we'll be able to enjoy this world to its fullest, all without the restraint of sin in our lives. It is going to be amazing, right? But maybe you're saying, didn't Jesus already bring the kingdom, Mark? Well, yes. Jesus did come in Matthew 4, right? He, he says, uh, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? And when we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about the place where Jesus reigns. The place where God reigns. So, Jesus comes and he kind of inaugurates the kingdom. The kingdom is started. We're living in kingdom days, right? And yet, we see that we're still surrounded by sin and death and destruction. You know, how can this be? How can the kingdom be here? And yet, we see all the effects of the fall surrounding us. And I I believe it kind of comes down to this, uh, being able to understand uh, what the the coming kingdom looks like. And I'm just going to try to illustrate this as best I can. 
All right, there is, so Israel had this understanding that we, that they were living in the, the old order or the old age, right? And God creates this, this perfect world and there's no sin and it's glorious. Adam and Eve sin and all of a sudden now there's sin and destruction and death and this old order. And they believe because of the prophets, because of their scriptures, right, that a Messiah was going to come. Right? This Messiah was going to come and he was going to overthrow the old order and inaugurate in this new kingdom age. And God would reign and rule once again and Israel would be replaced in their rightful place to, to rule with him and all the nations would be blessed through them. Right? This was their understanding that the Messiah would come, old order is gone, we're a new kingdom people. But here comes Jesus, the Messiah, and he does not come with a sword, right? He does not come overthrowing the, the oppressive Roman Empire. He does not set the people free politically, right? So we see this different understanding, all right? We see that there is this old order, the sin and destruction and death that is surrounding us. And then Jesus comes. We see the cross, right? We see the cross. Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom is here, you have access to the kingdom right here and right now. Good news, all right? And then he leaves. And here we are. Oh, wait. Oh, there's, you know, I still have friends that are dying. Oh, there's still people that are angry. There's still the effects of sin. I can see it. And yet, as Christ followers, in the midst of this, we have access to the kingdom. You see, in the midst of our falling world, we have access to supernatural healing because, because there is no sickness, there is no death in the new kingdom, right? We have access and we are able to enter into these restored relationships with God and with each other, right? We're able to pull in from God's kingdom the joy and the peace and the love and the patience from God. Right? We are able to access all of these kingdom attributes, all of this kingdom power in the midst of this sin-ravaged world. And we can, can live in fulfillment of this kingdom age, even right now, even in the midst of it. Because you and I, as Christ followers, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And we are salt and light in this world. Right? And so we, even in the midst of the old age, are bearers of that light and we bring the kingdom with us everywhere we go. And that is why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because we are kingdom bearers. We are kingdom bearers. Right? We are sons of the king. We have authority to bring this new life into this world of darkness. But, so we can see it in part right now, right? But at Jesus' second coming, we will have kingdom life in all of its glorious fullness. And it is going to be awesome. So how does this affect our lives? And we're going to finish with this. The effect that when we think about Jesus is coming back, he's fulfilling his kingdom, we're going to spend eternity on earth with God dwelling with us. How should this affect our lives? And the answer, as we mentioned earlier, is hope. We have a confident expectation that Jesus is coming back and where we are going is amazing and awesome and wonderful. That God has not forgotten about us. And in the, the book of 1 Peter, 
Uh, such a great book. I'm really excited. We're going to be doing a series on it in just a couple months. So this is just a preview. All right. So the, the book of Peter, uh, was, he was writing to Christians who were scattered throughout Asia Minor. Um, and these guys were, were living under increased levels of persecution. No longer uh, was Christianity just kind of tolerated or, or put up with as this um, legal sect or this legal um, division of Judaism, but as the emperor, um, emperor Claudius was rising to power, he was trying to bring back this uh, Roman faith that they had in, in ages past, right? And so he was very antagonistic to all these foreign religions, including Christianity. And so there was an increased level of persecution on Christians at this time. This is when Peter is writing this letter. And just after this letter circulates around Asia Minor, uh, Emperor Nero raises, rises to power and he kills thousands of believers in Rome. And many people think that this uh, martyrdom, this included Peter, that Peter was even killed during this time. And it was in this time of trouble and, and persecution and difficulty that Peter writes this. And he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But these things have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls. And Peter's telling these persecuted Christians, things are tough. You know, things are not easy, right? But God is coming back. He is going to set everything right. He has not forgotten about you. He has not abandoned you. There is an inheritance waiting for you. Just hold on. And in the same way, Peter and, and God, through this book, is saying to us that, yeah, things are tough right now. You know, we can identify with trouble and persecution, right? We see our, our loved ones getting sick. We see death, right? We see uh, family relationships getting torn apart. We see the effects of sin in our life. And sometimes it just feels overwhelming. How are we going to get through this? What is going to happen? And God is saying to you and he's saying to me that things are tough. But I am coming back. I am going to set everything right. I have not forgotten you. I have not abandoned you. And Jesus, in John 16, says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. God, we just thank you for that. And so good. Jesus has overcome the world. 
And so, we live in a world ravaged by sin. But we hold on to hope. A confident expectation that Jesus is coming back. That he has not abandoned us. That he is with us in the midst of our trials and in the midst of our struggles. And we know that when he returns, there will be a judgment. Where we will be called to account for what we believe and what we have done. And we also know that through faith, we will be ushered into eternal life. We will be ushered into eternal pleasure with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. You and I are going to see the final consummation of this glorious kingdom. Sin and death thrown into the lake of fire, and we will live free from sin forever in the fullness of life, unhindered by sin. And this, friends, is our great hope. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you that you are a God of hope. Yeah, thank you, Father. And God, I know that there, there's people here right now that just that feel hopeless. They feel like they are in circumstances or situations that they, they don't know how they're going to get through. They don't know how that is going to work out. God, and I just pray that you would come and meet them right now. And so if that is you, just encourage you just to, to open yourself up to receive the hope that God has for you. That the situation you're going through is not the end of the story. That God has not forgotten about you. God has not abandoned you. The psalmist says that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know you are there. You are with me. And so if you feel like you're walking through that valley of the shadow of death right now, just encourage you to, to turn your eyes to Jesus, who is walking with you and wants to, to comfort you and guide you in the midst of that. And he wants to tell you that there is hope. That this is not the end of the story. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, God, we love you. We thank you for filling us with hope. We thank you for the inheritance that is waiting for us. And we rejoice in your return. In your name we pray. Amen.